Guided cruise through dumbest timeline America. I am Frank Spring. With me is Ellie Jacobs, the man who you want in your corner uh, in a moment of crisis, when crisis strikes, or when you wish to strike a crisis. Hello, Ellie. Yeah, I feel it's very apt right now that we're doing all kinds of crisis simulations and, and preparedness. Uh, as always, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for their comments, both positive and negative, and urge everybody to subscribe and rate us on iTunes and follow us on the Twitters at Taking Ship. And that's ship with a P as in pandemonium. And that's uncoordinated with Frank's crisis mentioned. So we're just in sync all over the place. Uh, in addition to the Twitters, you should check out our website, www.takingship.com, where you can order your T-shirts. We're about halfway sold out, so please get yours soon. If you order by the 31st, you still get that 20% discount. And we'll provide in-person delivery to TrueCon 18, where we'll, where we'll also be selling the leftover stock at full price. So uh, tell us how large of a size you'd like and how many you'd like, much like whiskey. That is right. <clears throat> and today we are joined that we have an officer on deck. Uh, it is a very special episode. Uh, the godfather of this podcast, the Commodore himself, Jason Stanford, is uh, is here in studio. And by that, I mean sitting at the same table that I, as I am. Hello, Jason. Hello, Frank. Hello, Ellie. Thank you for having me. And Ellie, I cannot believe how much you screwed up that whiskey line. That was just an embarrassment <laughs> to jokes. I've, I've made it worse and worse each week after the oh first time. Oh, my God. Really? That's after practice? <laughs> so kidding. You're like the montage in a comedy movie done in reverse. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. It's, like when the, it's when the credit, when they do like the, the, the outtakes during the credits, except we do it at the beginning of the show. Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's excellent. Yeah, yeah. This is how we get warmed up, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. when I'm in the gym and I like, you know, begin by dropping a kettlebell on my foot and then going from there. Going home, having a good yeah. cry. <laughs> <laughs> so I see you're on the same workout regimen that I am. Well, yes, <laughs> perfect. All right. Well, now that we have the Commodore in in, in uh, on deck, what are we talking about today? Uh, I think we're going to start with a judge's ruling. This is, I mean, <clears throat> partly because it, when something is this 2018, you just have to have to mm. confess it. Uh, a, a federal and judge representative of Dumbest Timeline America. Yeah, this is this is. I mean, straight from the bowels of Dumbest Timeline America <clears throat> comes a federal district court judge who ruled on Wednesday uh, that would be uh, today that President Donald Trump can't block people from viewing his Twitter feed. So yeah, you can't. Uh, apparently, uh, the uh, the Donald likes to block people who piss him off. Uh, people uh, have made a glorious sport of pissing off Donald Trump on Twitter. My personal favorite variant is when they send him a direct message or tell him they have secret information that will help him and then <clears throat> ask him if he is familiar with BOFA or something and his direct <laughs> messages, he hates that and blocks people. <laughs> so yes, it, it was at one point and may still be possible to BOFA the president of the United States via Twitter. I can imagine him not liking to be bofa Yeah. I imagine he is more of a bofa -er. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Except that, that that being able to land that particular joke is beyond his sense of timing. If he did land it, you know, he'd go back then and talk about how he landed it and mm -hmm. how people, many people, are saying that he was very funny. 
Yeah, they, that's that's well. Yeah. I mean, what would happen is that he would spend a lot of time talking about how he bofed Heather Locklear in 1987, and she was very, very interested. Very interested. She was married at the time, but she was extremely interested. And and unfortunately, because of scheduling, things just couldn't work out. But and clearly, but, there's you know, no, there was definitely something there. And with all the bofing going on, clearly, if there were a problem with his size, then this would be well known. Yeah, like obviously, there's no problem down there. Yeah, no one's ever, no one, people have thanked, believe him, people have thanked him for bofing them. So, this is the best bofa. As horribly sideways as this conversation has already gone, just we're really just kind of going off of what the president has already said out loud live on TV. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 None of this is particularly original material. Well, thank uh, which, which thank God, yeah. Which again, I mean, that's that's the taking ship promise. Like we're like we're, we we bring you, you know, only the finest of other people's jokes. Uh, but yeah, so but but this is the, the, this is fun only in the sense that uh, it it gives you an a, an idea of just how tangled and deeply messed up uh, the entire communication structure of the United States of America is right now. When you've got a federal judge ruling on the president of the United States and blocking on Twitter, uh, as as you might guess, we are fans of blocking on Twitter. Everyone should block everyone. We our 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 come some, uh, come follow us on Twitter. We will block you immediately. Uh, the whole <laughs> thing should just be a series of people blocking each other until all goes silent. You guys That's, like blocking on Twitter? I actually don't, except in very few circumstances. I don't want to give anyone the satisfaction. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a great muter of people. I like reporting people. Reporting people That's is a solid fun. one. I block three people, I think, just because I don't want to see what they're posting. Not that I have any bad, like, ill will towards them, or, well, actually, one of them I probably have ill will. I block uh, Ben Shapiro, Ben Rhodes, and Michael Doran at the, at the uh, Hudson Institute. Mm-hmm. You know because someone, nice because you said this out loud, now someone will send them in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, if anything, if, if Ben Shapiro <laughs> mentions us on his podcast, we just sold all of our T-shirts and have to get, have to get better uh, uh, bandwidth so more people can listen to us, because... Nobody like nobody gets people to hate listen to things like Ben Shapiro. Well, that's good. It's true. It's true. Nonetheless, we've made a powerful enemy, or at least some kind of enemy. A short one, anyway. Do you think Trump blocked Seb Gorka? Okay. Or the other way around? <laughs> which one? Which happened first? Oh, my God. That's a sentence that someone said out loud, and it made sense. <laughs> I would... Um, yeah. <laughs> It pains me to do this, Mr. <laughs> President, but I'm afraid I shall have to block you. <laughs> For you see, it is all part of my plan. I cannot divulge what I do not know, Mr. President. And so, with, so with great reluctance in my heart and tears in my eyes, I press the button and block <laughs> the great Donald Trump out of love, not out of spite. Do you think Gorka you knows he's not in the line of succession? Hmm? Do you think Gorka knows he's not in the line of succession or are people just like letting him keep that At fantasy the moment, alive? <laughs> Jacobs, for the time being. Well, he's not in the public line of succession. He's, he is, though, in is. the, the I mean, real one. I mean, look, if British history has taught us anything, it's that given enough resources, planning, and execution, you can change the line of succession to the throne. Oh, sure. It's, it ain't hard. All he has by that, I mean, it's fantastically difficult. Yes. <clears throat> so John Cornyn blocks me. Uh, the senior senator from Texas. And it was always fun when his office would call and ask for a favor to arrange some press conference, something mm-hmm. like that. Me, very agreeable and happy to do it. And then it asked my last ask of the whole thing was, and can the senator stop blocking me on Twitter? <laughs> sure. No, I'm sure I did something to deserve this. It was horrible. Mm-hmm. But I went through the same thing when I was uh, communications director for the mayor and Uber and Lyft were running a pressure campaign trying to get, get us to bend to their will. Uh, we were 
under the in, the now popular notion that people should not rape women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uber was not completely many on board. Many people are saying this now. It's, many people are saying this. Uber was not at the time completely on board. Mm-hmm. And Lyft did not feel <clears throat> empowered to stand up to Uber. In any case, there were some really nasty things heading our way on Twitter. And I started blocking people. That, but then it occurred to me, the mayor's Twitter account, as silly as the notion, as this sentence will turn out to be, is a government function. And you can't like just block people from receiving government services, such as they are at 140 characters each, um, just because they're annoying D-bags. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah. if that were so, whole oh boy. If that were so, we could jail huge numbers of oh, people. Oh, they would be full and overflowing. I know. Be beautiful. Yeah. And then this time, the right people would be getting it in the Just, next. Yes. Well, yes. For a point of clarification for our, uh, for our listeners who may not know, up until last Friday, uh, Jason was the director of communications for the mayor of Austin. Uh, so he is now free and able to speak freely. Dobby is a free elf. Dobby is a free elf. That's my guiding mantra this week. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to see Ellie tickled. <laughs> I made him laugh. On anytime, the other anytime we can mention elves, it's always, always, always a good sign. You know, of all the things that we can talk about, elves are about as sensible as a district court having to rule that the president can has to unblock people on Twitter. That's true. Who's going to sit with him? And is like the White House counsel going to sit with him and be like, all right, Mr. President, let's pull out all the people you blocked and let's unblock them one by one. <laughs> and how and how quickly will those people then go on the attack once they're unblocked? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have been unblocked. The, the, the thing that you would need is a public declaration that you had been unblocked, so it becomes open season again. Wouldn't you just then mute them? You can mute anyone you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. That's my preferred go-to. Yeah, they don't know that you don't care. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's just like regular we, life. Yeah, but if we know anything, <laughs> if, we know anything if we know anything about Donald Trump, it's that the idea of the moderate approach is not one he takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if he hates you, it's important to him that he knows you know he hates you. I suppose the rest of us who are content with a small crowd of people just howling into the void (laughs) seems very appropriate for where we are now. But speaking of of perhaps not howling into the void, the democratic process took a step forward yesterday, and uh, there were there were primaries in in uh, several of these uh, several states, including Texas, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Georgia. Uh, they were uh, Democratic primaries <clears throat> and Republican primaries, uh, and and for the most part, let's let's start. Let's talk about a few of these things because I think they're illustrative. Uh, let's start here in the Lone Star State in Texas. Yes, uh, where there were a number of contested, uh, for, <clears throat> there are a number of targeted congressional seats, seats that uh, Democrats have hopes of picking up, which we are not used to at all. Which yeah is not a is not a particularly uh, common phenomenon. Uh, there have been. Uh, we've been hearing about the bluing of Texas, blue Texas, for a long time. It is a process that seems to be continuing apace, although it's always farther away than our most optimistic friends would uh, would say. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but there are a number of targeted congressional seats here, uh, and they featured a few. We've, we've talked about one of them uh, on the podcast before, at least. Uh, the uh, Texas 7th, uh, where a few weeks ago uh, the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, dropped a bunch of opposition research on one of the candidates uh, and uh, and uh, Mosier and, uh, and and tried to, to knock her out of the in an attempt to knock her out of the race potentially uh, in favor of a candidate they feel has a better shot of winning there was a significant dust up about that uh, Lizzie Fletcher uh, the preferred candidate won that one and indeed pretty much across the board in all of these targeted seats it was the candidate who was favored and liked uh, by the uh, party establishment if you want to call it that uh, that was also favored and liked by the voters of the district mm-hmm. uh, pretty much across the board. In so Texas, for the most part, yeah. In Texas, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, the point that I would take away from this is that sometimes being seen as palatable <laughs> to 
uh, palatable to the powers that be and being a an authentic person in connection with your you know with your community and your and grassroots activists are seen as being mutually exclusive and and I don't think they have to be mutually mutually exclusive not at all I think you can run a good professional campaign the kind that uh, gets the attention and approval of uh, you know the establishment again such as it is uh, in DC and in state capitals and other places and also be connected uh, to your communities, be yourself, and then be able to run a good campaign that mobilizes a lot of folks. And we saw that best example of that I can think of is probably Gene Ortiz Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are a few other good examples on that. Uh, uh, Joseph Kopser, and mm-hmm. uh, he uh, came back from a second place finish in the first round of the primary to win and win pretty handily. Yes, um, by virtue of you know a campaign that was as energetic as it was uh, was organized. So you know there these are just a couple of examples of, of folks that have been on been on the establishment radar for a while and have also done the work in their community. So congratulations to them. And what we, <clears throat> what a lot of people were expecting to see was uh, a continuation of the pink wave. Mm-hmm. I mean, Joseph Kopser was in a field with four people, one of whom was a, a, a local minister, didn't run much of a campaign, but because she was a woman, she finished in first place. And the fear among Kopser's partisans and, and uh, my wife works for him, Joseph's uh, a friend of mine, um, the fear was that just because he was running against a woman, he would mm-hmm. he would lose. Well, he won big. Mm-hmm. So I think what it shows is, yes, women do have structural advantages right now uh, in, in... For the first time in human history. Mazel. So, you know, I guess we're, we're done with that. We're done with that. <laughs> Next. Um, but, but if a woman runs effectively no campaign mm-hmm. or, you know, spends less than $100,000, we're talking about signs, runs a mm-hmm. sign campaign against a guy who's raised a million dollars and is on TV and is running a real sincere campaign out there campaigning and getting real support and, well, she's probably going to lose. Mm-hmm. But Gina Ortiz-Jones in the first round, taking it to Texas 23, which used to be our only swing district in, mm-hmm. the, in the whole state, um, which we should touch on a little bit. Gina T. Jones was not the DCCC's candidate in the first round. Mm-hmm. That was some guy named Joe or John or some damn thing. Mm-hmm. Castro brothers. Joe behind. John. Yeah. But let's call him Steve. <laughs> and, and the establishment such as it was, was behind him. Well, she had Emily's list mm-hmm. and she's also a fantastic candidate who knows exactly who she is. Mm-hmm. Tells her story in a really authentic way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No one else can tell her story and it makes sense. And you can't knock her off her feet with her story. And she went through a, a real trial by fire because mm-hmm. the, the the San Antonio Express News editorial board decided she was a phony and she was a one trick pony. And I did not mean to run. I apologize. That. And she just kept telling her story and mm-hmm. saying why she had to do this. And she won them over. And she finished far ahead of everyone else in the first round, far ahead of her opponent, who was a Bernie bro mm-hmm. in this one, uh, Rick Trevino, which, mm-hmm. you know, comma, not the country singer is, mm-hmm. is going to go in every one of these stories. She was a great candidate. MJ Hagar, who is a, a combat vet, a helicopter pilot, right? Mm-hmm. Who's injured in combat, I think. Um, these are these are extraordinarily ca- talented candidates that are the kind of which we weren't able to normally get to run. Mm-hmm. And I think we could talk about establishment versus grassroots. We could talk about is this the year of the woman? What I'm left with is how incredible these congressional candidates mm-hmm. are. Like if the if they become part of our congressional delegation, then suddenly we have this. Then the, suddenly the Castros aren't the only guys on the bench. Mm-hmm. We've got really we've got a lot of talent coming our way, and that's exciting. That's extreme. That's absolutely right. And you know, Gene Ortiz Jones, as you talk about talent, and again, we're we're going to stay with her because I think she's the really great example mm-hmm. of this. <clears throat> she would be. 
not only, I mean, she is a, would, would be considered the cream of the crop of congressional candidates in Texas, but she would be a top tier congressional candidate in any district in the country. I mean, this is, she, I mean, mm-hmm. she would be competitive anywhere by virtue of, again, as you say, she tells her story well. She obviously has run a disciplined uh, professional enterprise, which is, you know, not, not quite as common as we'd like for it to be. Um, but, but she certainly got it. But she certainly did it with her campaign. Um, so, yeah, she would be. And that's that is that. And it's a good example of the kind of talent that is popping up across yeah. Texas politics and yeah. in other places as well. I would like what the way you described her also applies to another winner from yesterday. Uh, Amy McGrath in Kentucky, and we're going to come mm. back to Texas here mm-hmm. in, in a minute, but I, I think this this dovetails really nicely with that. We've talked about Amy McGrath on this podcast before. She uh, announced her presence with authority uh, last summer with a truly terrific uh, uh, opening ad uh, in which she talked about her story, told her story well, told her told it with authenticity. Uh, she came out of nowhere, pol- absolutely political unknown, running in the Kentucky 6th, which is the uh, area of Lexington. Uh, I highly recommend uh, uh, visiting that neck of the woods. If you're there, go to Stella's Kentucky Deli. You won't regret it. And, uh, and, and, but, and, and there was some, there was a dust up locally and maybe a little bit of bad blood because, uh, there was a story about how the DCCC had recruited the mayor of Lexington, Jim Gray, mm-hmm. uh, to run for that congressional seat as well, which they see as, as their only pickup opportunity in Kentucky this mm-hmm. cycle. Uh, and, and so there was a sense that, well, the establishment was swinging in behind, behind Jim Gray. As a matter of fact, uh, McGrath never faltered. She raised a lot of money. She continued to raise money. Uh, she continued to tell her story and to run an energetic and very authentic campaign. And this is not a particular shot at Jim Gray, but she did such a good job and just went from strength to strength that having, you know, having recruited uh, un- and, and understandably recruited the popular uh, Democratic uh, uh, mayor of a pickup district. I mean, mm-hmm. the D-Trip's decision wasn't un- wasn't unreasonable. That's exactly what you would do yep. in those circumstances. But having recruited him, having essentially left left the field open then, uh, I mean, I happen to know there are a lot of folks in the D-Trip building who are very excited about Amy McGrath, have been for a while because she's been emerging as this really, really good candidate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these are talented folks in places where, you know, and, and this is just a good indication of where we are in the, in the stage of the cycle. Those were two credible candidates in a district where, you know, two years, four, six, eight years ago, you couldn't have found one. Yep. Yeah. So, and you, I mean, you run into the issue, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit more as we go through these primaries. You run, you run into some of the issue that a lot of these uh, districts that uh, are people are Democrats in particular are very excited about. Uh, there's still a huge uphill climb uh, when you get to the general because, mm-hmm. you know, as we saw in the Georgia 6th, a lot of these districts, there just aren't enough Democrats. Um, so you really do have to figure out a way to either get everybody out plus more people or figure out how to get people on the other side to support you. And when you have a good candidate that can be authentic and tells a good story, that usually helps a lot. I think the Gina Ortiz um, um, uh, race against Will Hurd is going to be really, really interesting because he's an interesting character in his own right. They both have military experience. Um, to go head to head on a lot of issues, um, so I, I think that that'll be a really interesting one to watch over the coming, you know, six months. Mm-hmm. And as you said, but this this is this is an exciting time in many respects to be a Democrat. Good, solid candidates, uh, tier one candidates are emerging in places uh, in in places that are newly tier one. Uh, that's that's really encouraging. But again, I mean, these are you know these are uphill climbs. Uh, and and there's there's a lot of ground to make up, and not all of these folks are going to win, and a lot of the time it's not going to be their fault. Yeah, I think the Kentucky district is an R plus eight, and the guy won his last race by twenty or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. it's. Yeah. I mean, that that's it's going to take some. It's going to take some do. It's it's going to take some doing. It's a big. It is you know a lot of these places are the kind of places that that turn on big waves, uh, mm-hmm. and. 
but you know, but this, but the way, and I, but I remember this. I mean, in my the district in which I grew up, New Mexico Congressional District One, was uh, had a Democratic registration advantage for many, many years. But it was, it was, it all, it had a Republican uh, congressman for uh, more than thirty, if memory serves, uh, since essentially since its creation, almost forty years, and then it turned blue. Uh, in 2008, so with, with the election of Congressman uh, Martin Heinrich, uh, now Senator Martin Heinrich, mm. uh, and and then there was a, so it turned blue during a wave, and it, there was a kind of sense. Of, oh, we almost got there in 2006, didn't quite make it. Got there in 2008, so successive waves finally take the seat back. Uh, well, you know, and then had to defend it, and in 2010, in a in a real gunfight, and then in 2012. Uh, it became essentially a safe Democratic seat. It's not considered New Mexico Congressional District 1 is now a seat for Democrats. The primary is the general there. And what we have seen is you know, some of those places that only turn with a wave and that even come up short on a wave, uh, the, infrastructure that can, the infrastructure that can be built, the momentum, the change in the idea of like, hey, this is a winnable seat. Something happens to the way that voters, and particularly Democratic voters, think about turning out. It becomes a doable prospect. So even if some of these folks come up a little bit short, the mere fact of having put really previously unassailable uh, districts in play and, and almost gotten there can have a, a very powerful long-term effect. Yeah, and you can also, some of the swing voters um, may start looking at Democrats as not having, you know, hooves, cloven hooves and horns on their heads and start voting Democratic where ordinarily they may not have. But once you put forward a candidate that's reasonable and approachable and authentic, suddenly they could be continue sitting in that seat for a long time with, with bigger and bigger vote margins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And, and and that's a really good point, because in a lot of these places, um, you know, there hasn't been a, you know, a candidate or it hasn't been, they haven't been targeted. They haven't had, you know, money spent on, you know, on, on, uh, on direct voter contact or communications, on paid communications for a long time. They have, I mean, some of these districts haven't seen a Democrat. Uh, it's not so much true of Kentucky, where there have been some, some very contentious Senate races. But uh, but some of these places are places where there haven't been big Democratic pushes before. A lot of them are. Texas has had a few as part of the Blue Texas program. Right. But, I mean, our big problem in Texas is uh, pessimism. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got the second lowest voter turnout by percentage, obviously, in the country. People just don't think there's any point to voting, mm-hmm. especially at the statewide level, because there doesn't seem to be any point to it. You know, mm-hmm. a Democrat's going to show up and get a, you know, about 40%. Mm-hmm. And if you, like, the the... The bandwidth which within that, that context where you seem to have any effect is about five points. Mm-hmm. You can raise it a few, you can lower it a few. But if, if you know, Frank Springs are nominee for a land commissioner, he'll get about 40% in sure. a normal year. And then Trump comes along and Hillary only loses Texas by 9%. And suddenly, like, mm-hmm. there's a level of people, like the political class said, oh, wait, so things are winnable now. Mm-hmm. So they start to believe, and they notice that there are a few congressional districts where Hillary won, where the Democrat didn't win before, mm-hmm. uh, like Texas 7, like uh, like Texas, what is it, uh, uh, 23, and there's one mm-hmm. up in the uh, Dallas area, I forget which one that is, that uh, all read, the former uh, NFL player who mm-hmm. won the nomination. In any case, it gets them to start believing, and the combination of everyone finding themselves in America's timeline mm-hmm. And seeing a national political environment where Democrats are winning races where they shouldn't win or you know, have normally been competitive and seeing this sort of stuff. I mean, all of these, these are the things that add up and make a big wave. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if it's big enough. 
Yeah, but there is definitely a way. All right. All right. We want to talk about anything. Sorry, do, we want to, do we want to talk more about um, Georgia or Arkansas? We saw similar things, I think, in, in Arkansas. Um, you know, good, you know, uh, Georgia is interesting just because, uh, you know, that, that one, I think, is a, was a little bit less establishment. The big news, uh, establishment versus grassroots or whatever, the, the big news coming out of that one is that uh, Stacey Abrams mm-hmm. uh, beat Stacey Evans. Uh, it was the all it was the all Stacy uh, campaign, um, mm-hmm. and 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 you know a good one, but sta- but it was perceived as being very very close, and uh, and Stacey Abrams actually walked away with a with a pretty significant margin, right? Uh, over over Stacey Evans, it was you know there was a sense that it was divided along along racial lines because Stacey Abrams was was black and, and uh, is black and Stacey Abrams is not is white, uh, but in point of fact, I think that what what we saw from the vote total was. Um, Stacey Abrams made a ca- made a case that was compelling pretty much across the board, mm-hmm. uh, and and walked away with a, a very significant margin of victory. Yeah, talent won out. Yes, and this and this is it, right? That's that's one where just looking the way that things is proceeding, the better polit- you know, you know, the better candidate, you know, as we, you know, as we would say, the better political athlete walked away with it. I think it's underrated, especially in the go- governor's race, uh, how important it is that you like how you feel. Mm-hmm. When they talk, mm-hmm. Wendy Davis had a lot going for her, but when she talked, I got tense. Mm. She had a lot. She probably still does have a lateral lisp, mm-hmm. which can't, she, which made it hard for her to say the name of the state. It would come out mm-hmm. in Texas, mm-hmm. which rates a little. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a forced quality where it was, she was trying to control the tone of her voice in a way where it just didn't seem relaxed. Doesn't mm-hmm. seem nearly contrast that with listening to Stacey Abrams talk this morning in her uh, recording of her victory speech, I found myself just relaxing. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, how rare is it that when you're involved in the political mindset that you relax mm-hmm. when you're listening to a politician? And I think to be able to do that, to be able to talk about the world in a way where people know you're telling them the truth, and two, you're giving them some vision of where you want to go, some you're describing a, a better world. And to do that in a way where people are caught up in just the sound of your voice. I mean, Stacey Abrams has got those tools, and those are that's a rare combination. It matters hugely. I mean, that was a lot of the appeal. And there's, you know, there, there's significant, there's substance behind this as well, but that's that's the first thing in many respects. You can, uh, you win a lot of your permission for the substance to be heard based on whether people just like listening to you. Uh, and, and to a certain degree, there's, there is, there's natural talent at work here. Uh, some people have have in, have uh, are, are born with better instruments than others, uh, you know, with, mm. with their voice and how to use them. But but this can be taught. We are not all Frank Spring, I basically. Thank my, God for that. Honesty, my almost, God. Yeah. Uh, no, there's I'm telling you the, the real problem with my voice is there's entirely too much of it. Uh, but the issue you solved the supply problem. Solved, now let's just work on the demand. demand problem of you know the damn demand. Just going to keep supplying until something happens. Let me make one more point about Georgia. Mm-hmm. Abe Weigel tweeted out uh, late last night. Or it looked like. Um, and if you're not following Dave Weigel on Twitter, reading the stuff in the uh, Washington Post, you're missing that. He notices things no one else notices. It's great. He tweeted this uh, late last night. Georgia Republicans outvoted Democrats by around 50,000 ballots in the in the Georgia governor primary. Four years ago, that margin was around a quarter of a million votes. So a lot of times you see... That's a wild early, stat. Yeah. Really wild. And you can be discouraged that there weren't as many Democrats voting as Republicans, as we saw here in Texas. Mm-hmm. But when these, these, that, that's what, that's how you start to see a wave when more people start showing up in a primary. Mm-hmm. And that usually indicates that more people, you know, that doesn't mean just the many and just that proportion will show up in the general. And sometimes it indicates that there's a, a gathering storm. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's an excellent point. 
and and this is a combination of of structural, uh, you know, the, as you say, the wave um, structural response to what happened in twenty sixteen, and then also as a function of that, uh, candidates with real with real talent popping mm-hmm. up and running top tier campaigns. To to the earlier point about. Uh, voice and how you feel when you listen to a candidate. Uh, just for everyone who has any doubt about this stuff, mm-hmm. this can be taught. It can be taught. Uh, if you are running, if you're working with someone and this is an issue, do not assume it is a limitation you have to accept. You can get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bill, Clinton, Bill Clinton's a perfect example. I mean, he's a naturally gifted speaker in his own way, but he did a lot of work before the 92 race and then subsequently to get even better. It's something that can be trained. It's not easy and somebody's got to be committed to wanting to do it. And it's not the end. If you're working as a consultant, it's not an easy conversation to have with your candidate to say, uh, people don't like listening to you, boss. Uh, we got to work on that. Uh, but it, it's incredibly important. And it's also not just the what, it's not just obviously what people say and how they say it and what it sounds like when you hear them. It's also, you want the candidate to actually believe what they're saying. And I think that that's been a little bit of a change this cycle as well, but you're seeing a lot of candidates come out and because they're being, and we keep using the word authentic, uh, because they're being authentic and true to themselves, they actually truly believe what they're saying and believe that what they want to push forward is best for the country and best for their districts and best for their states. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The combined effect is very powerful. Well put. And speaking of combined and powerful effects, we are now going to investigate the power of yes and also the power of no in a new uh, segment uh, that we are <laughs> then we're calling uh, Kitchen Hacks with Ellie, or uh, more, hey, more hey, accurately. Hey, no, no, no. We're not calling it that. It's called Yes or No with Ellie Jacobs. Yes or No with Ellie Jacobs. Thank you. Right? Yes or, this so you can ask him This newly renamed segment. Yeah, right. That's exactly right. It's called Yes or No with Ellie You're Jacobs. You're limited to kitchen hacks. No, no, no. It it's could be living room hacks. Any room of the house. Any number of ideas that we can put to the judgment of Ellie Jacobs. Why don't you tell, give the origin story? Speaking well, of where, whereas we're looking for more supply of Frank, we are distinctly trying to downgrade the supply of Ellie's words. Just we know what, know. what, we're, what we're, going, we're going for here. That's exactly right. We're going for here <laughs> is quality rather than quantity. What we want is more of Ellie's opinion, but express more briefly. It's a concentrated push. Frank, for Ellie what we want is a concentration oh of Jacobs. <laughs> Frank, why don't you why don't you tell the puzzled listeners at home uh, how we came about this? Oh yeah. So the editor, former editor of uh, of De- of Deadspin, uh, the sports blog, uh, Tim Marchman. Uh, Pushes uh, basically in, in written form. I think he's talked about it in a couple of podcasts. He'll tell anyone to listen about uh, the, the be- what he views as the best way to drink coffee, especially iced coffee, which is brew your iced coffee, and then uh, you know, ice, and then the mixture. The way to drink it is iced coffee, little milk, little sugar, if that's what you like, and then top off uh, with so- uh, with soda water, uh, sparkling water. That's his his recommendation. It is a, a really good way. It's like a, it's a little bit like a coffee egg cream. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think it's an excellent way of of drinking iced coffee. Jason was having one earlier before we uh, before we started recording this. He described it to uh, Ellie Jacobs, uh, whose immediate response was, "And eh, no, no." And 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 I wish you you missed something because the you missed something not not having the visual it, element of it. It was GIF worthy. It was GIF worthy. Uh, Ellie and and this has happened many times. Ellie's snap decisions of yes or no are are truly some of the finest moments of uh, of judgment and uh, and, and performance He's I've also ever seen. performatively adorable uh, and, and i think Ed jacob's adorable nature gets enough 
run on this podcast. That's or exactly truly right. anywhere. Really, honest, honestly, anywhere. probably his wife doesn't notice it. Most anymore. people don't know that Ellie Jacobs is adorable. That's right. I mean, if you if you were if you just passed him on the street being interviewed about Jared Kushner, you say, would think that area man is very tall. Area man, you would think this area man is indulging in Bertie Wooster cosplay. Mm. You would think this area man owns at least one suit. You would think this area man has been to a fine museum recently. Yes, you would think this area man. Uh, it really hopes that they get the uh, lower they get the lower third Chiron right about him because it's written in a language that he doesn't understand. You would you would hope that you have an interesting dilemma to pose to Area Man because he looks like he would have very good recommendations. You would think this Area Man is plausible enough to sell you almost anything. You would think Area Man would look good in a hat. You would think that Area Man honestly should look into his own line of uh, glasses. A- Area Man is well known for many things. None so much as his judgment. Yes, which brings us which brings us back to uh, which brings us back to uh, yes or no with Ellie Jacobs. So we have here a list. Uh, this one is kitchen hacks. We have here a list of kitchen hacks, uh, and we are going to run them by quickly by Ellie Jacobs. Ellie Jacobs will give us a yes or no. Is this a good kitchen hack or not a good kitchen? These hack? These are from the magazine Cooking Light. These are not just kitchen hacks. These are the greatest kitchen hacks every cook should know. All right. Make hard-cooked eggs a cinch to peel, Ellie. Instead of boiling the traditional way, steam up to a dozen eggs in a steamer basket suspended over boiling water for 15 to 16 minutes. The shells slip right off. What say you? I mean, I don't like hard-boiled eggs, so I'm probably not the right person on this one, but that just sounds like a lot of work. We're looking for a yes <laughs> or a no. <laughs> We're not looking yeah, for no. your thoughts. Yeah. Okay, Jeff. <laughs> No, no, that, that's what we're, we go. That's what we're that's talking. It. All right, make the best roasted veggies. Place the pan in the oven as it preheats. When the vegetables hit that hot surface, they get a delicious jump start on browning. Uh, solid yes. Okay, mm-hmm. that is a I hack that I have that I do. Just, just a yes or no. <laughs> adjectives. Are not, we're not right. for adjectives. Supply, supply and demand. Sorry, sorry. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. We're trying to artificially uh, create some scarcity, which will. Suppose, yeah, this is the uh, mortgage-backed securities theory of Ellie's popularity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And what could, what could possibly go wrong? Out of a junk bond, we're going to create millions. I'm looking millions. forward to leveraging Ellie's judgment and popularity. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Here's a way you can improvise a brush. When you can't find your pastry or basting brush, and who hasn't been in this situation before, mm-hmm. make a quick disposable stand and fold a piece of parchment paper over and over to make a small rectangle. Cut fringe with kitchen scissors and marvel at your makeshift brush. No. Good, good. That's what we're, that's, mm-hmm. I think he's got it now. Yeah, it, I think it was the marveling at what you've done marveling. that really, really pushed this thing over the edge. And who can blame him? Okay, making powdered sugar. If you find that you're out of powdered sugar and you really need it, pulverize granulated sugar in a spice grinder to make your own. Yes. Okay. I didn't see that coming, actually. Warm things up. I know, it's a shock. Yeah. yeah. This pro move keeps dishes that tend to keep set up quickly, like risotto or creamy pasta, including mac and cheese, which is good for you with, the, with your baby. Okay, this, this helps these dishes stay nice and loose. Serve on warm plates. What? That's it? That's what, that's it? it? That's the... No, that's bullshit. No, come on. <laughs> Sorry, we're skipping, Elliot. That's, no, no, that's, we can't ask What a load it. of crap. Your judgment is too precious. No, to we're not bringing that to him. No. Oh, man. 
We failed you on that one. We also revealed ourselves as not having rehearsed this it's at not, all. That would just, how, how, yes. Oh, God, the listeners will know we don't prepare. What will happen now? No. And they're like, shut up, get to the next act. I just like the fact that the Commodore thought that we prepare. I feel like we're actually duping <laughs> somebody. It's always a shock. Here's a way you can cool things down, Ellie. Uh, please don't tell me it's going to serve it on a cold plate. Good oh, Lord. no, this is really funny. If you're sautéing onions, as one does, mm-hmm. and they start to get too brown, as they do. Every cook's worst nightmare. Toss in an ice cube to chill down the pan fast. The water will evaporate quickly, and your onions will be saved. Oh, God. No. Okay. <laughs> Speed up meatloaf, Ellie. Fast when you want. <laughs> who moves the we've, we've done it with warming up. We've done it with cooling down. Now we're speeding up. Bend um, space and time with right. roast beef. Mm-hmm. When you've got a hankering for a hunk of meat, but don't want to wait. <laughs> Oh, has to copy it. No, somewhere. No, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying no. Just, okay. <laughs> Just saying. this is actually kind of funny. All right, uh, make wine cubes. Have a bottle yes. of wine. Yes. <laughs> good, good. Go with a serrated knife. When you're overdue on sharpening your knives and just can't get to the sharpening stone. Switch to your serrated knife for all your cutting tasks. The saw-like blade will do much do a much better job than your dull, straight-bladed knives. I mean, that's fairly obvious. I feel like like psychopathic again, killers. Again, again, like, <laughs> we're just looking for a yes or no. Uh, yes. Good, good, good. All right, ignore egg dates. We often joke that eggs never go bad. That's really just a joke. They certainly can and do go bad. But not according to these people. But the Brave the salmonella. It's it's a conspiracy. It doesn't really exist. (laughs) It's like witches and dinosaurs. And elves. And elves, exactly. We're not looking for a response yet, Ellie. Fuck you Uh, and your beer, Kyle. But the sell-by date on the carton isn't your guide to whether the egg is still good. Don't automatically toss them after that date. Instead, place an egg in a glass of water. Good eggs sink. Bad eggs float. It's sort of counterintuitive. So so try your egg as if it were a medieval witch. No. Forget the spout. Oh, this is good. It has the word kosher in it. You'll like it. We know you've had frustrations with that spout on your box of kosher salt, injuring yourself <laughs> under your fingernail, or struggling to pour that last bit out of that tiny, poorly placed hole. Instead, slice a corner off the box with a serrated knife. <laughs> Ellie? I didn't know that Jews were being claimed for cutting people's thumbs, so No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That one feels like the like the setup to a uh, to a, a an as seen on TV product. You know, yes. someone like injures themselves on a loaf of bread. Yeah, they're like, are you tired? Are you tired of your loaves of bread breaking your thumbs? You know, so I'm someone like trying to make a sandwich. Did the rye make you die? Did the rye make you? That's exactly right. Tame that butternut. <laughs> God damn it! No, no. Pop a whole butternut squash in the microwave. And zap it for two to three minutes. It'll be much easier to peel, seed, and cube. No. Soften and sweeten bananas fast. Ready to make banana bread, but your fruit isn't ripe enough? Place the bananas in their peels on a parchment-lined pan or plate and toss in the oven as it preheats or in the microwave for a few minutes to speed ripen them. When skins are blackened, bananas are ready. No. 
<laughs> Save wilty greens. When your spinach or kale is on the verge of going bad and you have more than you'll be able to use tonight, freeze it in a zipped top freezer bag. Next time you need greens for a cooked application, saute, soup, omelet, or stir fry, for examples, just pull them out of the freezer and toss them in. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I'm going to do yeah. that. Totally makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Frozen stuff, throwing it in a hot pan, mm -hmm. always fun. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. This is all right. When toasting nuts at 325 degrees, the perfect temp to coax out the natural oils, toast a lot, freeze extras, and save a step in the future. <laughs> Making the note we're missing here is actually forget all the stuff you just heard about nuts. I'm going to give this to you. Just the title and the title alone. Are you ready? Because I think I know how you're going to respond to this one. Are you ready? This is our kitchen hack. Making some, make more. It's just... <laughs> yes or no answer. If you are making some, yes, make more. Obviously. Yes. yes. All right. right. That's even <laughs> before you get to the nuts. Yeah, if they hadn't oh. fucked up the nuts thing. It was the nuts thing that really did away with it. Oh, oh God. Truss a chicken without twine. Yeah. Make a slit. I'll be damned, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Make a slit in the excess skin on either side of the cavity and thread drumsticks through the slits. Works like a charm. Why trust in the first place, you ask? <laughs> it helps the bird cook more evenly and maintains its nice, compact shape. No. Yeah. Right. Correct. That's the correct answer. Cook perfect fish. Every time. That's the hack face. No. There's no further details. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Try a better buttermilk sub. They mean substitution, right? Not sub as in. <laughs> yes, like, that's what I thought was a Subway sandwich of buttermilk. That's not <laughs> where I went. This is terrible. What would, what, be would a what would be a buttermilk dom? Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. That, that especially. Yeah, no, you're right. That does. Buttermilk sub sounds buttermilk. like a really creepy like shubs genre, genre on Reddit. Yeah, that's that's like a regionalism of sub dom. It's definitely it's like a buttermilk sub. Like Something Iowa? Like, yeah, Wisconsin. Yeah, well, certainly there and down in, and, and down in even, I think, through Nebraska and Kansas down into the great state of Texas. Uh, depends on really how you make your cornbread. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, you, I, I don't think we need to go any further uh, into that one. <laughs> I want to. Okay, okay, fine. All right, fine. Fine. You're right. Save yourself some washing. When taking raw meat to the grill, transport it on a foil lined platter or baking sheet. After the food is on the grill, discard the foil. Cooked food can go on the pan without your having to wash it first. Pass. I don't even feel like I can meet the, can't comment on that. It's just so dumb. It's yeah, so that, that one there. It's so obvious. Friends, I, I'm sorry to report that uh, the good people at Cooking Light are really reaching at this point. How many more? Numbers we got? <laughs> we only got three more. All right. Press on. Wait, waste not. Measure flour, sugar, and other dry ingredients in a dry measuring cup set on top of a sheet of wax paper or parchment paper. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I'm telling you, we're down to the necks and gizzards on this one. How do they do it? Wait. <laughs> <Don't>, <laughs> these are so painful. Oh. God, like, no. what's the next one? Don't piss yourself <laughs> like, as you're cooking. Try and remain continent. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll, I'll give that one a shot next time. Almost. Steady the bag. Oh, no. When pouring gravy or leftover soup into a Ziploc plastic bag, place the bag in a large glass measuring cup or bowl. Cuff the top of the bag by folding it over, which holds the bag open and keeps things tidy. Steady the bag, Ellie? Steady the bag, yes. 
Save yourself from yourself. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're getting through this. We're doing this. Build in portion control with your next batch of cookies. Oh, fuck this. No. 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 I do really appreciate that when we had Jason on the last time, he mentioned that when he originally envisioned the podcast, he wanted it to be a, uh, a, home, a home care uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> a housekeeping sure. podcast. So he's brought it back very su- subtly. <laughs> All right. Here's our last one. Make stock while you sleep. No time to fuss over a steaming stock pot. Place stock ingredients in a Dutch oven and bake uncovered at 225 degrees for eight hours or overnight. For a slightly less rich tasting stock, cook in a slow cooker on low overnight. In the morning, skim, strain, and bring to room temp and refrigerate. So, don't they sell that in a store? No, homemade stock is is really good. I highly highly recommend it. I use it in everything. In like what? I make it, you use it in pasta recipes. Uh, You can cook rice in it. Uh, Super good. Yeah, no, homemade stock is is really, is actually quite good. And here's how to do it while you sleep. Cornish pasta. Well, the thing that I really like, actually, no, first let's get Ellie's answer. Ellie, uh, Ellie, Ellie, night stock. Yes. Yes. Night stalker. Night stalker. (laughs) 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 No, I like the assumption that like, if you don't do it this way, because basically what they're just saying is stock takes a long time. Right. Uh, put it on for either eight hours or overnight and go away. Do they assume that otherwise you would just be standing in front of the stove for the best part of a day? I mean, like, i just just standing here watching this. Or, well, maybe you, like, you set it up at, you know, like after you get home from work and you're like, oh, I should probably not go to sleep. But I thought, you know, I'm just... Just up at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I got to turn the oven <laughs> off. Grimly processing <laughs> stock. Also, who? I mean, the other thing is like this is not a fine if you want to do it this way. By all means, do. But can I can't think of anything I would less want to do first thing in the morning than than, skim. To, than to process a bunch of like bone water and skim away the fat. You're not really selling me on stock. Super good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Plus, you can make like a little sachet of uh, a sachet, a, a sachet, yeah, a French, uh, like a, of uh, French uh, herbs. Oh, yeah, I know, and you can feel super fancy. Cool. Yeah, and then your freezer is just full of old cottage cheese tongues of stock. It's awesome. <laughs> Highly recommend it to everyone. <laughs> Poor Ellie. <laughs> hey, Ellie. <laughs> this has been yesterday with Ellie Jacobs. <laughs> I feel like we really, you guys really took advantage of the fact I had to be on mute for a long time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So we call filling in the business. <laughs> so I mean, the area man thing could have gone on a lot longer. Oh boy, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I'm going to have to explain a lot of things in the episode notes. Please, <laughs> <laughs> beginning with an apology. All you need to do is just link to that one Facebook post. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. All right, fair enough. All right, so. We've now been yammering and, and playing games oh, for oh, 45 no, minutes. Listeners, listeners it's, I know it feels oh, like longer, but we promise we're letting you go. Oh, man. Isn't this at this point qualify as kidnapping? Yes. After an hour? <laughs> who has who? <laughs> I, I mean, Frank and I have avoided most of the charges at this point. I like to imagine our friends who are listening to this podcast going, well, they're normally nice guys. I won't hold this against them. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And for, for everyone else, we are deeply sorry. And the, the, the life hack of listening to us on, on double speed is real, does not really do justice to the episodes, I would no, say. No, no, it doesn't. If anything, you should listen to it on half speed so we sound incredibly drunk. And thoughtful. 
Yes. It's a combination not normally <laughs> like, occurring. Like very, like like almost speechless with drink, with drink uh, uh, philosophers. Yeah, which is sort of, you know, Obama's like half time, he's half speed. Mm-hmm. Like, I, uh, and then he can go regular speed and then he yeah. stops. Yeah. 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 Keeps you engaged. Yeah. 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 With no lisp. Uh, all right. So uh, after a decent episode with the Commodore, Jason, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank um, you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Now that you are no longer uh, tied to your government jo- government job, perhaps you can we, join us more frequently. We got no more opinions forever. Yes. <laughs> I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Please do take the time to subscribe and rate us on iTunes or whatever podcast you podcast and listening service you use. Follow us on Twitter at, at Taking Ship. Uh, go to our website, www.takingship.com. Order some T-shirts because you definitely want some. And uh, with that, Frank, where are we going this week? Friends, ghastly news from the uh, front of the war on the sea. A team of researchers came to a startling conclusion recently about the sea creatures known as octopods, or octopi, depending on how you want to describe the multiplicity of the creature known as the octopus. The operative theory from these 33 researchers is that the, this, this, these creatures are in fact the result of alien intervention. That's right, the belief is that during the Cambrian explosion of life on Earth, the meteors landed on Earth, bringing with them an extraterrestrial virus which caused the squid uh, uh, that were alive at the time to mutate and change and to become octopi. We are in fact, they are in fact an alien interloper species. <clears throat> Now, reporting from the war on the sea, we have we, we have I have only one thing to say to whatever alien did this: stay the hell out of it. This this is our war on the sea. We will prosecute this on our own terms. We don't need your Johnny Come Lately octopi in here messing things up for us all. So, friends, we are going to get we are we take now to the high seas to gather as many of these loathsome creatures as we can into into a vast arc, which we will then blast off into space. Take your octopi back, whoever gave them to us. This is where we are going to settle this with the ocean without you. Friends, we take ship first for the seas and the octopi and then for space itself. Take care, everybody.